You are listening to the FDNY Pearl Podcast, featuring members of the New York City Fire Department. We want to share stories from the field, best practices, lessons learned, and help save lives. Welcome to the FDNY Pro Podcast. I am your host, Captain Sean Newman, and today's topic is the 50th anniversary of the 23rd Street Fire. October 17, 2016 marks 50 years since the 23rd Street Fire. On that day in 1966, 12 members of the department made the ultimate sacrifice at a fire collapse in a commercial building. For 35 years, it was the worst line-of-duty death fire in FDNY history until September 2001. Members responded to Box 598 for a reported smoke condition at 7 East 22nd Street, called in by a tenant in an apartment on the fourth floor who smelled smoke. The fire started in the cellar of the 22nd Street building, which actually extended under the 23rd Street building, which made finding the origin of the fire and extinguishing the fire difficult, if not impossible. The podcast on this fire is more than a first-hand account, but a way to pay our respects many years later to the 12 men who perished that day and to offer our current members an opportunity to learn from our very rich history. Today, I have with me uh, two retired chiefs, retired Deputy Chief Vincent Dunn, who retired as the commander of Division Three, served 42 years in the department, and since the uh, 23rd Street fire has become an expert on collapse caused by fire. And uh, also with me is retired Assistant Chief Edward Butler, who served for 38 years and uh, retired as the Manhattan Borough Commander. At the time of the incident, Chief Dunn was a young lieutenant recently assigned to Engine 33 on Great Jones Street in East Village. And Chief Butler, who was a firefighter in the house at the time, had served about six years. Just I'd like to have your thoughts and memories of how long you had been in Engine 33 at the time. And and if you wouldn't mind just talking about how you responded when, uh, when Box 598 came in for you that evening. We had been eating or just finished dinner that evening. When the second alarm came in, we responded up to 22nd Street. We were sent around to 23rd Street to meet up with the 3rd Division in front of this drugstore. I recall standing in front of the drugstore and, and walking into the store with one or two other firemen from 33 Engine, just wandering around with other truckies and seeing the light smoke, a haze of smoke in the store. And then coming out, we regrouped outside with the company with uh, with Lieutenant Dunn. I always recall that Chief Riley was standing in front of the building and we were on the right side of him towards Broadway and 18 Engine was towards the left of him. And another point of interest was right across the street was uh, a deputy chief in the 1st Division, Al Hay, who was in our quarters and was eating dinner with us that night and he went up to buff the fire, if I recall, and he was sitting in his car across the street watching it with his driver, which it might have been this fellow, Don Gilday. So while we were standing there, Chief Riley got a radio message from Chief White on Broadway, so I could use an engine company, I need help around on this side. And Chief Riley turned to 33 Engine, and he told 33 Engine to uh, go around and meet up with Chief White on Broadway, and 18 Engine, you come in here with me, stretch your line in here, or come in here with me. And fortunately for us, 33 Engine, that we happened to be on the Broadway side of him. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here today. We would have been the ones who walked in 
to the drugstore with the deputy chief in the 3rd Division, and 18 Engine would have gone around to uh, Broadway. We happen to be lucky enough to be on his uh, right side. Um, I always think about that all these years. While on Broadway, we did stretch a line, and we encountered fire in uh, in one of those exposures on Broadway. And But I recall, most importantly, before we went into that building on Broadway, the 1st Division Chief, Chief Hayes Driver, came running around to us, and I recall him saying, have you seen Chief Riley? Have you seen Chief Riley? We're looking for Chief Riley. And we said, no, he's not with us. And I recall him saying, as soon as you guys turned the corner on Broadway, fire and smoke erupted out of, out of that drugstore. After we extinguished some fire on Broadway, we regrouped, we got called back around on the uh, 23rd Street, and now there was a fire coming out where the collapse was, and we had stretched a hose line into that area to, to lop water into the ball of fire. And one thing I recall, while laying there throwing water in, we were lobbing water maybe 10, 15 feet away into the hole where the fire was. Part of that floor gave way right in front of our feet and fell into the fire. And we were just a few feet away from being a casualty also. And then we backed out of the, out of the building. As Eddie said, we responded on the second alarm. I think the box came in at 9.39. The second alarm was at 10.08, and 33 engine responded on the second alarm. So we responded up to 22nd Street. I reported to this assistant chief, Goebbels. He was in front of a brownstone building, and uh, fire was coming out from the cellar below the stoop the steps that went up to the second floor of this brownstone. And I remember seeing Rescue One. They could not get down that cellar. Uh, the, and the flame coming out was like a blowtorch. So I said, if Rescue One isn't going to go down there, uh, nobody's going to, you know, put that fire out. And uh, as we were standing fast, Goebel said, you know, we think these buildings could be interconnected. Go around report into Chief Riley. He's on the 23rd Street side. So as Eddie said, we went around the Broadway side. I reported to Riley. Riley was standing in front of the drugstore. No fire, no smoke uh, showing. The light was on in the drugstore. And uh, he said, stand fast. So we're standing to his right. Joe Priori and 18 Engine, they come up from the east side. And uh, they're standing to uh, Riley's left. As Eddie said, actually, I remember while I was standing there that a fire patrolman came out of the drugstore and he said to Chief Riley, Chief, we got smoke coming up around the baseboards. And there, there was no fire. The light was on in that drugstore. So uh, anyway, as, as Eddie said, Riley said, 33, go around uh, 940 Broadway, go around to the exposure. What would that be, two? And then he said, 18 engine, get a line in the drugstore. Now... I remember looking in the drugstore, the lights on, a light wisp of white smoke. I remember saying to Eddie or someone, I said, you know, there's no fire here. Let's get around where the action is. And I remember Jack Finley putting on a mask and heading in the store. Chief Dunn, in the last 50 years, I think of that so often, the fact that we were so lucky that we were on the Broadway side of Chief Riley and he sent us to that side, and 18 Engine came from the east side, and they went with Chief Riley. 
I think that all, all my life I think about that. I wouldn't have been able to uh, go home to see my children that next day. You know, I didn't realize that, but I think I got that from you. And it was about 10 years later, I'm in the 7th Division, and I think you may have told me that. And, uh, you know, then I said, gee, what if Riley had said, 33, get the hose line into the into the drugstore? Uh, it would have been different. So then I realized the decision that was made in front of that drugstore. You know, you went on to become the Manhattan Borough Commander. I went on to be the commander of the 7th Division. Frank Lombardi and the company went on to be the 11th Division commander. Gabe Abernathy and the company that night went on to be the 37th Battalion commander. So I often wonder now what those guys, those 12 firefighters would have been. I think when you take a look at Higgins' career, he could have been a fire commissioner. So that was the big thing. That decision Riley made spared our life and uh, cost him his life and uh, an 18 engine and the guys from 7 and 18. I vividly remember that floor of the drugstore dropping in front of our feet while we had that hose line stretched in there uh, an hour or so after the original collapse. I really recall seeing that terrazzo floor, the whole thing fall right into the flaming fire. And I'm saying, my God, if we were up another three or four or five feet, we would have just followed those other 12 firefighters. There's no question about it, yeah. And one thing, you know, I always try to explain how the terrazzo collapse. Those wooden beams underneath that terrazzo floor, which is, it was five inches of cement topped with marbleized chips, polished. It's a floor you find in churches and restaurants. But the wood beam supporting that five inches of floor, concrete floor, and terrazzo on top must have all been burned away because I never saw a floor go down like that. And the best I could describe it is like chunks of ice caving into the water. Four or five foot chunk of terrazzo would just fall in front of you. And there was no warning sign, no weakening, no sponginess. But to watch four or five feet of, of flooring concrete just drop into the cellar, it was pretty scary. So we backed out. You know, we, we did not want to, to go any further with the hose line. If I may go back a little bit to your initial line placement in Broadway, Chief Dunn had mentioned in several articles about being at that window. What you later found out was the time of the initial collapse that brought the members into the hole. If you wouldn't mind saying exactly where that line was, what floor you were on, and how okay, close so, you were to... So Riley says, 33, get a line around the Broadway to expose your side. So we go around there. We get a two-and-a-half-inch line from some engine company, and we meet Freddie White, who was the 6th Battalion chief. So in Manhattan, Low Manhattan, only these old-time chiefs know everything about the inside of these buildings. Nobody's ever been inside these buildings on 23rd Street, but White has. So White says, kid, follow me with that line. So we stretched the hose line. I believe it was the second floor of 940 Broadway. And now we're in the hallway of this building. He says, force the door here of this bathroom. I remember we forced the door open to this bathroom in the hallway on the second floor of 940. And now there's a, it's a glass window in the bathroom, which is frosted glass. You can't see through, naturally, it's a bathroom window. So he says, knock the window out, and we're going to operate the line here. He's thinking he's going to 
hit the fire in the extension between the two buildings on 22nd and 23rd. That, I believe, was his plan. And uh, we never got to break the wind. I thought I saw, like, a flash behind the frosted glass. I thought I heard, vroom, you know, I mean, from a distance. And then Chief yells out up the stairway. Another chief says, everybody get out of this building. Get out of this building. Now, I do remember White says, come on, let's go. So I may have gone down with White and these guys backed the hose line out. Then we backed the hose line out of 940 Broadway. And I'll never forget this part. So now we're outside. Everybody's been evacuated from 940 Broadway. And now I see this big plate glass window on Broadway. We're standing by with this line that we pulled out of the building. This big plate glass window is pulsating. It's moving in and out. And somebody said, you better vent that window before it blows out at us. And I believe they broke the window. And then we operated the two and a half inch hose line in there. And we were just staying outside. We were not advancing in on this fire. This, this had been an outside fire. And then we were there an hour. Only chiefs had radios. Company officers didn't have radios. Firefighters didn't have radios. So communications were not big. And when Riley and Finley walked into that drugstore, good thing Hay had responded and buffed that fire. They would have never realized that they were missing. Hay saw the fire come out. Hay was wondering what happened. But if it wasn't for Chief Hay and the driver running around looking for Riley, it would have been hours before they would have identified. Because I'm just a lieutenant there now that's got a fourth alarm, fifth alarm fire. And I remember an assistant chief saying, anybody see Chief Riley? And I'm saying, yeah, I reported to him. What time? When was that? He said, 10 o'clock. And this may have been about 11 or 12 when they were asking for him. And I'm shocked as well. We wouldn't be standing here if there was anything wrong with Riley, but little did we know. Well, as Chief Hay said also to us, I recall, when this happened, there was so much smoke. They had seen Riley and the movement of Engine 18 and us. And when this collapse happened, I remember him saying there was so much smoke also in front of the building. And when it dissipated, they didn't know where Riley was. And thus, his driver came around and asked us if he came around to the Broadway side with us. Because he just kind of disappeared. And he said, hey, was buffing the fire. And I know, reading the inquiry, he went into fans uh, lingerie store which was right next to it and he went all the way back he may he may have been before the fire blew out because when he was in the back of that store fans lingerie he said he heard uh, the whoosh and he heard somebody yell help and he was knocked off his feet he believes that's one that for our listeners uh, i'll clarify that that was one of the occupancies in the 23rd street building uh, that it was partitioned, so there, there were there were th- actually three stores on that first floor on the 23rd Street side. The building was 60 feet wide by 100 feet deep. Three stores on the first floor: the Wonder Drug Store, a Fans Lingerie, and the Barton's Candy Store. You know what's amazing? The building was 20 feet wide, and uh, you know 12 firefighters die in a little store that's 20 feet wide, 100 feet deep, and the reason we didn't locate the fire, the real point of this 23rd Street fire, the difficulty of locating it was that the people in 22nd Street, where the fire was was really, 
showing. They had an art studio on the, it would technically be the first floor, their basement, but that's the first floor. And that art studio went all the way back and they broke through the wall and took over 35 feet of the cellar of Wonder Drugstore. Now, after that renovation, the Wonder Drugstore had a first floor of 100 feet depth, yet the basement was only 65 feet. The last 35 feet was now occupied by the art studio and the art store. It was really a framing studio. They frame and put lacquer and gold leaf on frames, and business was good, and they expanded, and they took over the back 35 feet of the cellar of the Wonder Drugstore. And what confused everybody is that when, and you really have to talk to the hero of this fire, was Royal Fox, a lieutenant, Royal Fox in three truck. Royal Fox was almost killed in a Broadway fire a year before where an officer and two firefighters died in a cellar fire. He escaped from the cellar fire. Now, Riley was a very good fire chief, incident commander. When Riley came around 23rd Street, Riley knew that they had a cellar fire on 22nd Street. So he said, five engine, three truck, uh, go down the basement, let me know what you got down there. So three truck goes down there, five engine stretches a line down there. And then, so Royal Fox, the lieutenant of three truck, goes back to 65 feet in a new cinder block wall. He pulls the ceiling, tin ceiling, and he sees a little fire there. He says, Chief, just send me down a line. We'll knock it down. There's no fire in the basement. Not knowing that the back of the basement is where the main fire is, and the entrance is from 22nd Street. So they send a line down there. Now, when they go down there, the captain of five engine tells the firefighter, Nick Cicero, you know, there's only one stairway in this building to the cellar. It's an interior stairway, which is dangerous. So he tells Nick Cicero, fireman from Five Engine, stand at the top of this stairway, take these boxes off the stairway in case we've got to make a quick escape, and let us know how conditions are on this first floor when we go down there. So while they're down there, Cicero is moving the boxes, and Cicero, fireman from Five Engine, all of a sudden feels a big draft come in from the door to the back of the drugstore. He says, a box starts to roll along the floor. And uh, he thinks something is happening here. And then the floor collapses, and a big black cloud of superheated smoke starts to come out from the back. He yells down, Cap, get out, get out. Five engine, get out of there. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. The big ball of superheated smoke, combustible gases, forces him to go out of the doorway. Now, five engine and three truck are in the basement. Now, Royal Fox has just survived the Broadway fire where three firefighters died. So now they say, come on, guys, we got to get out of here. So they go up the stairs, the interior stairs, and as they get to the top of the stairs, now fire is shooting after the floor collapsed. Fire is shooting out that doorway. Nobody wants to move. You're going to have to crawl out of there. And as they crawl out, they're being burned by the fire flow, the heat flow and flame flow that's going out that doorway. So they're rolling out, burned. Hay sees these firefighters smoldering in their turnouts, coming out. And Royal Fox is the last guy to come out of that cellar. He makes sure that everybody's out before he comes out. And they were first and second degree burns of, that, of those firefighters, according to the inquiry. And now 
there would have been 20 firefighters dead if Royal Fox and the captain didn't put Cicero at the top and take precautions. You know, he is really an important part of this fire. I think, too, though, in those days, in the 60s, we didn't have a system in place that I don't believe that if a local unit went out and found this type of uh, alteration, they might have been aware of it and let local companies know about it. But I don't think there was a system in place that the responding units would have been told about, you know, because we have computers now, would have been told, be careful, you have a illegal extension in the cellar and the terrazzo floor and all the problems we have encountered there. And nowadays, our fire department is much more advanced, would probably pick up something like this and, and communicate to responding units. Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, it was a very complex arrangement of buildings. The big change over the 50 years is that when the incident commander, like in Goebbels and Riley, were there, dispatchers were asking them for information. Give me the description of the building. Give me this. Give me that. And then the units would want their assignments. And today, with technology, the flow of information goes to the incident commander through computers, through radio messages. That's a big change. The flow of information is no longer from the incident commander. It's to the incident. He needs the information. In those days, even if a local company had, I recall, finding a situation during fire prevention that could be a, a danger to civilians or firefighters, we would bring it back to the firehouse and put it on the board. Our firehouse, the local firehouse would know about it, but there was no way to transmit it to the surrounding companies or companies that respond on a multiple arm or to dispatchers or field comm unit. Nowadays, our, our system has uh, been so much advanced. Now, when we see a hazard, we put it on the SIDS card. The SIDS card is programmed into the dispatch computer, and, and when the incident commander responds, the information flows to the incident commander the right way. We didn't have that back then. The other thing, too, I recall in those days, we had one field comm unit, and they would respond. And they would set up their command board in front of the fire building. In this case, more likely, they would have went to the 22nd Street site because that was the address of the fire building. Of course, nowadays, you know, we, uh, we're much more advanced, and we, we have two field comm units that could set up one on each exposure. To touch on SIDS or the lack of SIDS in 1966, uh, I would think that size up was a bit more intuitive to, to firefighters then. And uh, in some of the articles I read in preparation for this, uh, it kept coming up that some of the firefighters seemed apprehensive about going into this box. I was curious to, to know, was there something about that intersection or maybe with the way the alarms came in to indicate that this was a more serious fire than usual? All of loft buildings below 14th Street is scary. I mean, every single block I would respond to at night, you know, on the, on the west side of Manhattan in these century-old loft buildings, and 23rd Street was the same way old 100-year-old brownstones, it was scary. I mean, and it is still scary today. Lower Manhattan, it's century-old buildings, narrow streets, and you don't know what renovations have been made. And one important point, at every fire you go to, you were talking about size up, the most important thing you do at a fire is locate the fire. You can't determine where to vent if you didn't locate the fire. You can't determine where the stretch hose line. We did not locate this fire because of the complex arrangement of the alterations over 100 years. Chief Dunn, 10 years ago, you told a reporter in an article that there are no new lessons. 
what have we forgotten over the decades that firefighters knew decades ago? I've been studying building collapses for 25 years, and it's the same thing over and over again. You know, the parapet wall collapses, the floor falls in, the wall crashes on. So there's nothing new. But what we have learned over these years, safety has improved 500%. We have safety chiefs responding. Firefighters have radios. Chiefs have radios. So we have better communications. We have incident commanders, and we know accountability. Incident commanders has the ultimate accountability, but the sector chief has accountability for his sector or her sector, and the company officer has accountability for his or her firefighters, and and the firefighters are accountable to listen to the fire officer and not freelance. So we've come a long way, but you'd have to say communications and the incident command system. They are the major reasons we have a safer firefighter today. Chief Butler, uh, from moving up all the way to Manhattan Borough Commander, what innovations after the 23rd Street fire do you feel were the most important in fighting fires in one of the densest, most difficult urban areas of the world? First of all, back in those days, uh, I don't ever recall us sending anybody out of our firehouse for any type of training other than MPO, which is an engine chauffeur and a, a ladder company chauffeur. And for quite a few years after that, I don't recall us having any kind of special training for, like, as the years went on, when we had the hazmat training for hazmat and special operations and high-angle rescues and uh, boats, putting small boats in the water and so forth and so on. There's uh, a CPR, EMS-type training. We never had that in the 60s, but... I think what helped us most as years went on was the uh, the training in our frontline Class A division of training, and I think that has so much to do with the safety of our current firefighters now is the, the extra training that we've gotten over the last 20 years or so. Any parting thoughts? You know, whenever I talk about this fight, I always want to mention a tribute to the 343 firefighters who died in the World Trade Center on 9 because this doesn't seem as as tragic as that it does anymore. So I always pay tribute to that. I don't want, uh, but it's sad. This job, our big points are sad. That's why nobody wants to talk about them. Nobody wants to think about them. So, but we got to, that's it. We got to think about them. We got to talk about them and write about them, you know. Chief Butler, Chief Dunn, thank you very much for your time. You've given the department a great gift. What you said today, the lessons that you relive will make uh, our membership a, a better and safer place as they listen in. Hopefully so. Thank you, Captain. Thank you. FDNY Pro is online at fdnypro.org. Subscribe today and get inside access to the FDNY. Learn more about our publications, professional conferences, and other tools for first responders. Train with New York's Bravest. Twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And when seconds count, the men and the women of the FDNY are there for us, to protect us and keep us safe when the unthinkable happens. No matter the challenge, no matter the danger, our firefighters and EMTs serve with honor, dedication, and bravery. New York's bravest are there for us. Let's be there for them. 
Your support of the FDNY Foundation ensures that the world's best fire department has the world's best training, equipment, and education. Go to FDNYFoundation.org and help New York's bravest save a life today.